Hello, testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three. We have two listeners at the moment. How is my audio, by the way, Stephanie? Yeah, it's good. It's good for my side. It's yeah. good? Cool. Hello, hello. We will get started in about one minute. We will get started in about one minute. Hello, good morning, good evening, everyone. We will get started in about one minute. We will get started in about one minute. We will get started in about one minute. I am just, at the moment we are waiting. <clears throat> okay, let's wait for a few more seconds for other people to join this Twitter space. If you haven't already, please share this Twitter space to your friends, to your family, to your network. 
Um, it's going to be a good chat with Andrew Chow. All right. Seems like we have a decent amount of listeners in this space. Um, so let's go ahead. Um, yeah. Let's go ahead and chat and start this Twitter space. Um, so good morning. Good evening, everyone. Um, hello to all the people in the ballet community. Uh, thank you for joining today's Twitter space chat with Bitcoin core developer Andrew Chow. Um, you'll get a chance to learn more about who Andrew Chow is, what he does, what he's thinking about, and so on and so forth. Um, a quick introduction, Andrew Chow, he is a Bitcoin core developer. He specifically focuses on research and development of wallets for Bitcoin core. Um, as we all know in this space, Bitcoin wallets are um, basically the cornerstone of being able to get into crypto and Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin. Also, it's been the super important technology um, allowing us to have our own financial freedom in holding our own Bitcoins, right? We've all heard of the term, not your keys, not your crypto. Um, wallets is the answer to that statement. Um, and as we've seen in the past few months, a lot of crazy stuff can happen with centralized entities, right? Um, people can lose their funds. Um, people can get their funds stolen. Um, even trusted, once trusted entities uh, can actually just, you know, not even pay back your Bitcoin and crypto. So, uh, yeah, uh, Bitcoin wallets are essential and the security of Bitcoin wallets are essential to our survival in this industry. So without further ado... Um, I would like to introduce Andrew Chow. Um, Andrew, thank you for joining for today's Twitter space on ballet. Sure. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Um, now I did give a slightly small introduction of you. Um, but if you can also please introduce yourself, um, to the, to the listeners out here. Yeah. So I'm Andrew Chow. I'm, uh, an engineer at Blockstream where, uh, I work on Bitcoin Core uh, full-time. Um, I work on the Bitcoin Core wallet. Uh, I'm the wallet maintainer, and I do lots of things with uh, wallet software, hardware wallets, and, and um, key management and all that fun stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so uh, first question, uh, let's start it off with this. Um, how and when... Did you get into Bitcoin? Yeah. Uh, so I, I started working on Bitcoin when I was in high school about like um, six years ago, something like that. Uh, and that was because a, a friend had told me about Bitcoin because he was using it to buy stuff from the Silk Road, I think. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, he, he thought I would be interested in, in how it worked and he was correct. I was definitely interested in how Bitcoin worked. Um, uh, so, so after hearing about it from there, I, I started looking into uh, the internals using other wallets uh, like Armory. Um, and then uh, I started getting into Bitcoin core development 
because I was finding issues in Bitcoin Core um, that I realized I would be able to fix by myself uh, after I had looked at the code for quite a while. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, you weren't using for, using it for the Silk Road, were you? No, I was not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so I guess um, when you started to um, look into Bitcoin Core, and you know, obviously realizing that there are some issues that can be fixed, um, what was I guess you know the first issue that you fixed for Bitcoin Core? Uh, I think it was some like GUI issues or something. Um, uh, part of what I was doing was I was on the Bitcoin Talk forum also, and people would ask questions there, uh, and I would like try to help them. And I'll realize like a lot of the time they would ask a question and it would turn out to just be a bug in the software. Mm, <laughs> um, gotcha. So that's how I, that's how I found a lot of bugs also just by using it myself. So there was like a bunch of like GUI fixes I did early on and a couple RPC things that were just uh, weird, like weird edge cases because I guess users are stupid or something. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, um, GUI, GUI issues. Well, I would rephrase that. You users do stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you could say back then when Bitcoin was still kind of early, um, everyone had issues, right? So, um, yeah. So, what made you spe specifically um, kind of find your own niche into working on wallets for Bitcoin Core? Uh, I don't. I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, so I know, uh, I mean, a, a big part of why I'm, I'm on the hardware wallet path now is that I got a hardware wallet, um, uh, like early on and I realized I couldn't use it with Bitcoin core and I could actually just not use it with any full node, like any full node wallet, unless I did some weird thing with running Electrum, an Electrum server and then using Electrum. So um, when I got that hardware wallet, uh, it became a goal to a goal of mine to be able to figure out a way to uh, use that hardware wallet with Bitcoin Core like natively. Um, so that's like how I got into the whole hardware wallet thing, and and like I guess um, that was really that was a pretty big reason of why I got into wallets in general, or like into the Bitcoin Core wallet because. I had to make a lot of changes to how Bitcoin Core worked in order to get harder wallets. Gotcha, gotcha. And then um, when you started with, um, I guess, tinkering with Bitcoin Core and whatnot, you were, I mean, uh, right now you, you are still a young person, right? Um, you just graduated from university, is that correct? Uh, I graduated in 2019. 2019, but, okay. Yeah, fairly yes. recently. And, and and so I guess when you first you know started tinkering in Bitcoin Core, that was during your university days or right afterwards. Um, I started working on Bitcoin Core about a year before university, actually, while I was oh, still wow. in high okay. school. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, like a year or two, something like that. Um, and then I continued working on it in my spare time uh, throughout university, and and uh, I got an internship at Blockstream while I was in university and then got a job offer after I graduated. Well, that's incredible. Yeah. If, if, if I, if I found Bitcoin when I was 
you know, way back, I would be super rich right now. <laughs> no, <but laughs> I, I guess, I mean, everybody says that, but of course, you know, um, yeah. it, it's theoretically, you know, well, theoretically one would think that, you know, you would be rich if you got into Bitcoin early, but it's not always the case. So, yeah, uh, a big, I think a big part of the reason why I got into like the technology and how Bitcoin um, actually worked was because I had no way of buying Bitcoin myself. Um, so my parents did not know I was doing Bitcoin things for about two years, even when I lived with them. Mm. So there was no way for me to buy any Bitcoin because I, I mean, I didn't have a bank account. I couldn't just, or rather I didn't just ask my parents because they didn't know about it. Um, and so I, I just spent all my time just researching how it worked, playing around with various pieces of software and eventually developing on, on uh, Armory and Bitcoin Core. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That, I mean, that's incredible. Um, being able to start, you know, I, actually working on Bitcoin at such a young age. Um, that, that's uh, quite, quite the story for many uh, people getting into the Bitcoin space right now. Um, so um, yeah, let's fast forward. Um, to when you, you know, started working on Bitcoin Core and then, you know, um, uh, what you're known for right now as a Bitcoin Core developer, or I guess, you know, from, from, I guess, outside point of view, from my point of view, maybe your fellow Bitcoin Core developers have a different point of view, but um, you're known for BIP 174. Um, and that is for people on the space right now who doesn't know what that is. BIP stands for Bitcoin Improvement Proposal. Um, basically, anyone can, if they think that they want to find a issue fix for Bitcoin Core, um, they can submit a proposal to fix it, and then the community will look look at it, go through the whole due diligence process before it's approved. Um, yes. So, Andrew. Um, well, it's slightly different, but okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, so the BIPs aren't for Bitcoin Core specifically. They're just Bitcoin in general. And I mean, like specific issues to the Bitcoin Core software just go to GitHub. But we use the BIPs as a way to do consensus changes or generally anything that requires more than one software to like be aware of it. So we have consensus changes there. We have uh, P2P network changes. Uh, we have wallet standards like uh, 174 and 32 and 39. Um, and then, uh, but like specific changes to Bitcoin Core themselves are just, you know, on the GitHub. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, BIP, one, BIP 174, that's what you're known for. Um, yeah. from my understanding, like you kind of, what, what you alluded to, alluded to before, um, I guess that uh, light bulb moment was when you tried using Bitcoin Core, the software, um, in tandem with their hardware wallet, uh, basically, uh, I, I guess I'll have you explain more too, but um, basically there was some incompatibility there um, and you wanted to find a way where Bitcoin Core, the actual um, uh, Bitcoin client or, you know, one of the most popular Bitcoin clients can communicate with other hardware wallets in the market. Yeah. Is that so, yeah. Um so basically, there have been numerous attempts to get hardware wallet support into Bitcoin Core, and pretty much all of them failed because all the developers did not want to have 
uh, vendor-specific code within Bitcoin Core itself. So they didn't want to have to maintain like Trezor's proprietary uh, protocol within the code base. Um, and so when I was talking to uh, Sipa about this, uh, when I was interning at Blockstream, basically the the idea was that in order to have hardware wallets, we needed to have an external program that Bitcoin Core could call, and that external program would then talk to the hardware wallets and return information back to Bitcoin Core. And then in order to communicate with the external program, we needed a way to send a transaction with all of the input data, all the stuff you need in order to sign it uh, to that software, which will then break it down and send it off to the hardware wallet. And so that data format containing all the transaction information became PSBT, uh, BIP-174, and the software became um, HWI, which is the hardware wallet interface that I maintain. Okay, so um, PSBTs and HWI, they're all kind of um, part of that BIP-174 proposal, is that correct? Uh, so PSBTs is BIP-174, BIP and then HWI uses it, but they were like born at the same time. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah. And, and so, and, um, yeah. Yep. I was going to say, uh, PSBTs contain all the information that you need in order to sign a transaction. So it has the uh, previous transaction output. Um, it also contains key derivation information and a whole load of, of other uh, information that hardware wallets need in order to uh, say that a transaction is safe and they will sign it. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So basically PSBTs is a kind of, uh, you're trying to basically allow different hardware wallets on the market to all communicate the same language to Bitcoin Core and even to maybe different uh, Bitcoin software wallets. Um, but, it's, but essentially you want them to be able to, um, for example, if you want to create and form a transaction on Bitcoin Core and then sign it offline on your hardware wallet, the standard for PSBTs and the communication metadata that comes along with it can allow this to happen uh, and interact with each other. Is that correct? Yeah. So besides just the hardware wallets thing, uh, the more expanded idea is that PSBTs allow different wallet software to sign the same transaction. Um, and, and that can include also like uh, signing the transaction offline, uh, even even not on a hardware wallet, like on an old laptop or something that's just running, that's just completely air-gapped. Um, so uh, PSBTs has all of that information and it's also a common format. So a lot of wallets are using PSBTs now uh, for um, like being able to, take a transaction from one wallet and go to another wallet and sign it. It's useful for things like coin joins or multi-sigs. Got it. And then so, or it, would P, I mean, just um, curious question, but would PSBTs also be compatible between different Bitcoin software wallets? So for example, if I wanted to yes. um, form a transaction using Bitcoin Core and then sign it using another Bitcoin software wallet, such as Electrum, 
that also works, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and right now, um, I guess, what's been the current status with PSBTs? Have, 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 have all wallets been um, kind of adopting it? Um, and if not, what's been the barrier for those wallets to adopt it? Um, so a lot of wallets have adopted it. There have been a number of new wallets that just use PSBT out of the box. Uh, and a number of older wallets, I believe Electrum does support PSBT, um, that now do support PSBT and and kind of like deprecated the old way of doing it. I don't like I don't really have a list because no one tells me whether they actually are using it or not, um, unless I ask, but I don't. <laughs> so so I don't I don't actually know like how many wallets use it, but um, it's a lot more than I think it is because I'm always surprised every time. I see someone saying they're using PSBT. So it, it's quite widely adopted, uh, I would say. Okay. Uh, uh, for, for, for those listening on the space right now, um, I don't think we, we actually did explain it, um, <clears throat> what the acronym stands for, but PSBT does stand for Partially Signed Bitcoin Transaction. Uh, partially Signed Bitcoin Transaction. And it um, was created and founded by Andrew Chow. Um, part of the BIP-174 proposal. Um, how did you come up with the name anyways, PSBTs? Anyways, just... I think Peter uh, Sippa came up with it. I just uh, like, okay. I was like, what should I call this thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I'm sure like a lot of people listening right now in the Bitcoin space um, and, you know, even just people in tech in general, they, I, I'm... I've always wondered how do certain acronyms come about, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm also really bad at naming things. So, I mean, like I, I asked Sipa and I was like, what do you think we should call this partially signed Bitcoin transaction format? And it's like, <laughs> what about partially signed Bitcoin transactions? <laughs> Boom. Done. Yeah. I was like, All right. It seems good enough <laughs> well there it is yeah i mean it, 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 it. Uh, kind of lost you come there. about oh hello kind of lost you there a little bit okay hello 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 yep yep you're good okay yeah I, I was just mentioning a second ago i was to that point different bitcoin names such as segwit taproot it's like how do these names come about you know yeah <laughs> it's usually because they're descriptive um i guess like seg segwit was there's the witness thing and it was separate so a segregated mm -hmm. witness uh taproot is not that descriptive actually yeah. <laughs> And then, you know, most of the, you know, I guess when Taproot did implement, um, I just remember on social media, there were a bunch of graphics and announcement about it. Most of them, most of the graphics did display some kind of form of carry in the ground, right? Yep. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm, I think the idea with the name Taproot is that the, the like key, the internal key is like the, the trunk is the Taproot. That's like the trunk that supports everything. And then you have all the branches of the script path, and those are like 
the roots or something. I don't know. It's yeah. <laughs> something like that. Well, let's um, let's see what the next uh, you know catchphrase is for uh, the next Bitcoin upgrade. So, yeah. um, in your opinion, Andrew, uh, and and for those who have just joined the space, we're chatting with Andrew Chow, Bitcoin core developer from Blockstream. <clears throat> who specifically works on wallets. So he is the wallet master for all Bitcoin wallets. Um, in your opinion, Andrew, is Bitcoin is the Bitcoin core wallet the best Bitcoin wallet? Uh, well, <laughs> for a definition of best, yes. For okay. other definitions of best, no. Um, mm. and, and for... Um, uh, like full node wallets by default, because I think it's the only one. <laughs> um, but I mean, the Bitcoin core wallet has a lot of usability issues, uh, that, that I am like improving. Um, uh, and there are definitely other wallets that, that are way easier to use, but also the Bitcoin core wallet can do a lot of cool things that other wallets can't do. So it's, better than those in that regard, but worse because it's kind of hard to use. Um, so I'm just going to uh, uh, not really answer the question and say, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or it depends. Or depend depends. Okay. It depends on your security model and your use case. Yeah. <laughs> For those listening on the space right now, Bitcoin Core, the Bitcoin Core wallet um, is the wallet of Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin Core is the most common uh, and popular implementation of the Bitcoin protocol. Um, <clears throat> so I, I guess w w w with, with that being said, um, what are some other kinds of research or um, development that you're working on for Bitcoin wallets in general? Um, so a thing I've been working on a lot recently has been descriptors. So these are output script descriptors, uh, and they, um, well, they provide all of the. They provide all of the information necessary to spend a particular address, basically. Um, well, a script, which is basically an address, and uh, a lot of a lot of work recently has been done in in changing the Bitcoin Core wallet to be using descriptors rather than just private keys. Um, so that's, that's like a active area of research. And, and like, I mean, an extension of that is a uh, mini script. So that's a, uh, that's a thing that Peter Walla, uh, Andrew Polstra and, and Sanket are working on. Um, so mini script lets you have, descriptors that describe arbitrary scripts. Uh, so like right now, if you want to do a script that's other, a script other than uh, like pay to pubkey hash or pay to witness pubkey hash, your only other option is pretty much a multisig. Um, but Miniscript lets you do way more complicated things like, you know, if time lock do a multisig, if other time lock do single key and, and like you can have very complicated scripts using mini script. Um, and uh, 
at the highest level, it's like basically these descriptors. Uh, and they're relatively easy for people to understand, uh, at least compared to just Bitcoin script. Um, so that's something I've been kind of working on, although other people are more, uh, I guess, in charge of that project. Um, okay. yeah. yeah. And uh, another thing I've been doing a lot is coin selection. So there are a lot of different strategies for choosing which inputs to spend in a transaction. Um, uh, depending on what you're trying to optimize for. What do you think is, I mean, uh, I guess big picture now, like what is the end goal for Bitcoin wallets? Like when do you think is the, you know, the point where we're just like, all right, let's stop adding new functionalities to Bitcoin wallet. Cause I mean, I mean, for the most part, most people, you know, for, for mass adoption, all they really care about is, you know, sending and receiving Bitcoins. But now with Bitcoin wallets, I mean, it's almost become like a Swiss army knife, right? You can, for some Bitcoin wallets, you can even buy Bitcoin through the app. You can exchange crypto. Um, you can, you know, connect your app or your wallet to your own node. You can offline sign. You can choose your own UTXOs. You can change the fee, yada, 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 yada. When do you think, <laughs> where do you see the point where it's just like, all right, there's too many functions, there's too many features of a Bitcoin wallet. Let's just keep it plain, vanilla, simple. Well, well, I mean, I think there's always going to be some new thing that people want to add. But um, one thing I'm trying to, a goal I'm trying to reach basically is to get the wallet in a state where um, it's where we can add new things without having to rewrite half the wallet. <laughs> uh, so with, with SegWit, um, in order to add SegWit to the Bitcoin Core wallet, there were a whole ton of like structural changes that needed to make, be made into the wallet itself. Um, and so that really delayed uh, getting SegWit in the wallet, even in Bitcoin Core. Um, but with Taproot, we've made enough like architecture changes that Taproot, basically once it activated, you could have Taproot addresses immediately with with minimal work. Um, so I, th I think like an, a big end goal for me with the wallet is to have it uh, basically self-sustaining where I don't have to do a whole lot of work. And uh, as new Bitcoin features come out, like adding them in is not a real pain in the ass. Um, but, but I mean, I do think there will always, even for other wallet software, there'll always be like something, something that people want that uh, not all wallets can provide. There, there will always be different, different like security models um, that each wallet targets. So features related to those. Have you heard anyone else like within your network, your colleagues or people that you speak with at conferences, have they ever like go, go up to you and be like, you know, there's there's just way too many features and functions for a Bitcoin wallet right now. Um, has, has anyone else ever kind of given that rhetoric off toward, towards you? Uh, I don't think so. There have been a lot of people I've talked to who like design their wallets for basically one purpose. 
um, instead of trying to generalize. Uh, but but then they also um, utilize a lot of like the new generic things that we come up with, like descriptors. Uh, but yeah, I don't think anyone has really said that wallets are there's too much stuff in them. Um, but there's definitely like you could find a wallet for whatever you're trying to do, probably. Good point. Where do you see hardware wallets in 10 years, let's say? Um, right now, for the most part, most hardware, hardware wallets, you know, um, they offer some kind of offline air gap signing um, as well as some other features. Um, a lot of them, <clears throat> some of them these days, you know, they, they, they kind of brand themselves as being, you know, um, you know, indestructible or, you know, waterproof or... Uh, some have touchscreens and some don't need a wire, um, you know. So, yeah, I mean, to our point before, <clears throat> many different features and functions for different purposes. Um, where do you see hardware wallets in, in, in 10 years? I think we're going to have a lot more hardware wallets that can stand alone. So, um, I mean, we've started seeing that with cold card and, and derivatives of the cold card and some of their competitors where the device itself can be completely disconnected from your computer. You can power it off like a battery bank or something. Um, and, and you can use it. Whereas with uh, like the ledger and Trezor and Bitbox, you have to connect them to a computer in order to use them. Like the computer has to send, there's a kind of a, a back and forth protocol between the, the computer and the device. Um, but I think, it seems like a lot of people are, are want more of the the fully fleshed offline experience where you can you know copy things to a SD card or a USB stick, move it over to a, a self-contained offline hardware wallet, and do everything there, and then copy things back over on the on that USB drive. Um, it it seems like I mean with speaking to some hardware wallet manufacturers, it sounds like a lot of them are moving in that direction. Uh, like the, uh, what is it? The Ledger Nano X has like a battery built in and you can like use it without having it. Well, you do need to have a connected computer to do anything useful, but it can kind of stand alone. And then I think Trezor, Trezor has also been moving in that direction with their, um, Trezor Model T, where you enter the PIN and the passphrase on the device rather than through your computer, uh, like with the, the original Trezor. In, in the future, could you foresee a, a time where Bitcoin wallets will be somehow biogenetically, biogenetically injected into our bodies? Uh, I mean, that's definitely possible um although that just means it's hard to change well it's not hard to change it's hard to remove a hardware wallet in that way yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but can, I, mean, I, I was the, the reason why i brought that up is because i mean i don't know if you've seen the movie just in time it came out maybe 10 years ago um but essentially in that movie the premise was time was a currency 
and it was already kind of enhanced in in the person's body, right? It, it, um, specifically, it was on their forearm, um, and then whenever they wanted to kind of, I guess, exchange or you know, purchase whatever, uh, they would use that currency by basically interlocking their arms, and then the currency would then the time currency would then transfer over. Um, so yeah, I, I was thinking more kind of sci-fi-ish um, in that <laughs> aspect as to why I asked you that question, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be able to change the wallets if it's already in your Yeah. Pocket. Well, yeah, there, there's also, uh, I mean, there's problems with doing wireless communication like that. Uh, even with NFC today, it's pretty, the security on that's pretty tragic. Like you can, you can have an NFC reader that's like 10 feet away from the NFC device and like be able to read things off of it. Uh, so thing I, I'm highly skeptical of a lot of a wireless of the security of wireless protocols, because it seems like they all just kind of suck. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, well, Hey, um, yeah, but maybe in the future, they'll all be better. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I guess I guess to your point, I wanted to say there's an exception there with the ballet wallets, correct? So, well, it's <clears throat> well, it's not powered. <laughs> it's not powered, so yeah. there's there's no. I mean, there's no protocol, I guess. <laughs> yeah. There is no electricity. There is no some kind of any any kinds of technological mishaps, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. What you know. During your time as a developer and speaking with other developers, and I'm sure you know most of the people that you talk with in your line of work are, you know, hardcore private key extremists or Bitcoin maxis. Um, what are some seemingly over the top, over secure wallet setups that you've seen or heard of? <laughs> um, so, uh, one of the projects that we have at Blockstream, uh, specifically in the research is this thing called volvols, which are paper computers. And basically what we're doing is creating a way for you to generate your private keys completely offline without a computer at all. Um, so you, you roll a bunch of dice and then you generate a checksum by hand following like this enormous worksheet and, and have some, there's some, uh, they're called Volvos and they're paper computers that like basically just wheels that you can spin. And they're kind of like um, slide rules. If anyone knows what that is, <laughs> um, but they just help with, with computing the checksum and verifying the checksum and then using all of that to generate Shamir secret shares by hand, which you can then store in different places. And then there is a further extension of that to do, EC math, elliptic curve math by hand. Wow. Um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> so you can generate your public keys by hand and then sign them by hand. That, that's, um, I would say, is pretty over the top. <laughs> <laughs> How long would the whole process take anyway? So I hear the, the key generation part takes about a day 
Wow. <laughs> and then the whole like elliptic curve math part, uh, uh, way longer than that, I think. It's because you're doing elliptic curve math on very large numbers. Um, so yeah. it starts getting complicated. And then there's a whole like write something down wrong or just read something wrong and you've just completely screwed up and maybe you lost your coins. This so, actually, yeah, this is actually really interesting because um, I remember even like maybe a few months ago, I even tweeted out from my own account, you know, asking like, you know, or proposing, you know, is there anyone able to generate a private key, public key and public address by hand? Um, and I guess with what you're saying, there, there actually is a way. Um, yeah, the which, the public which, key part yeah. is a lot harder. Uh, with, so right now you have to use a giant table, a giant pre-computed table. So there's like reliance on a computer to generate these this table correctly. But once you have the table, you can start doing things by hand. Um, yeah, it's definitely possible. It's I, it's probably excessive. <laughs> <laughs> Has, has has anyone? Do you know anyone? I guess that was working on that, or within your network, that has actually gone through the whole process. Um, I mean, I assume Andrew Polstra, who is like basically the one implementing all of this, has done it with like test coins, maybe, or or just like run through the whole process at least once. Um, uh, although maybe not the key, the public key part, just the key generation part. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's more of an interesting, it's like more of a curiosity than than something you could do practically. Um, but yeah, uh, Andrew Polster has done a number of talks about this. So uh, at last week we were in. Austin, Texas for Bitcoin Plus Plus. And he did a workshop uh, going through the whole process or part of the process. And then like last month in uh, Boston for the MIT Bitcoin Expo, um, he did a talk about it as well. That is so awesome. Honestly, you should suggest to him to do it again, but record it this time. Video recording. Well, I think, I think they were recorded. I'm pretty okay. sure they were recorded. Yeah, and it, I, I, um, is it is it uploaded online, sped up in, in time, or uh, it's uploaded somewhere. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not sure where. Honestly. Yeah, uh, um, I might be able to I, find I, a link. Yeah, the reason why I also like kind of thought of this as well because um, there was one time on YouTube, I saw someone. Um, he posted a video of him, basically. Uh, by hand, um, calculating one round of SHA-256. Um, and that itself was pretty impressive. Um, and, of course, the video was sped up and everything. So, I mean, if if, if Andrew Polstra has a chance to, you know, make a video out of it and then, you know, speed up. Um, I know there's there's supposed to be a YouTube tutorial of how to do this soon. Um uh, I don't know when, but like the, it's probably going to be published on Blockstream's channel or something. Um, I, I remember someone mentioned that they were they were working on that. So, 
Besides these talks, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. That, that that is, I mean, you can't see me right now, but I'm like smiling from like end to end. I mean, that's it, that's so like amazing. <laughs> when that does yeah. come out, please do send it to me, um, and then I'll, I'll I'll definitely share it to our community. If anyone else is interested in, um, you know, uh, being a private key extremist, so yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, the uh, oh man, the uh, <laughs> it, and so if you can uh, repeat, what is the name of that? Um, I guess whole system. Uh, so we've just been calling it Volvels. I think it's spelled V O L. V-E-L-L-E-S. But this is like a generic-ish term. So you probably want to like preface that with like Andrew Pulser or something if you search it. Okay. <laughs> uh, there is V-O-L-V-E-L-L-E-S. V-O-L-V-E-O-S. L L E S something L-L-L-L-E-S. like that. L L E S. Yeah. For those listening on the call right now, um, Volvos, as it's called, basically is a way, or you know, uh, it, it's more of a proof of concept right now, um, which which does work, correct, Andrew? I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, um, oh, wow. For, for, for some reason, I just thought I. Um, no, there, there's a lot of Andrews. Yeah, yeah there's, there's Andrew Chow, Andrew Polstra. Uh, but, but you're saying that this process, Volvos, does work, correct? Yes. It, it, can, it, get you, it can get you from a private key to a public address, correct? Uh, not that far. It can get you to a securely generated private key um, that, that did not have any computer involvement guaranteed. Uh, to get the address, you have to like enter it into a computer. Gotcha. Um, you can the the next step is a lot more complicated because it involves hashing and easy math and those are hard but but theoretically those the hashing and easy math to get to the public address theoretically that can be done by hand correct yes it'll okay. be extremely tedious yeah <laughs> Um, right, because <laughs> the 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 SHA two fifty six thing was like it was like one day to do a whole round of SHA two fifty six. Yeah, but SHA two fifty six has like sixty four rounds or something. Um, so that's a lot of days. <laughs> and then you have to do it twice because uh, actually no, you have to do it with RipeMD, which is a different hash function that I don't think anyone has demonstrated doing it by hand yet. But it's also, uh, it's like it's probably going to be similar to SHA two fifty six. So, for those you could you could do yeah. it by hand, but it's tedious. <laughs> for those listening right now, just to kind of recap, basically, um, if anyone was interested in you know private key extremist methodology, um, there is a way to generate your private key by hand. Um, and as, as what Andrew uh, mentioned before, his team or someone in his team has come up with a, uh, a proof of concept called Volvos. Um, and basically, yeah, you can generate your private key mathematically by hand. Um, and I, I assume it starts with <laughs> I assume it starts with rolling 
died 256 times, correct? Um, it starts with rolling six die, uh, uh, like 60 something times, um, <laughs> maybe 100 something times. Uh, so part of it is that it does a debiasing algorithm. So you can have biased die and get actually unbiased randomness, but it just means rolling them a lot more times. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. For anyone on the space right now, or for anyone, you know, because <clears throat> Andrew, like I said before to you, uh, we do get people, um, you know, questioning our private key pre-generation process. Um, so for those who are still skeptical of private key generation process uh, with us or with other wallets, we challenge you to do it by hand. Um, <laughs> there's, and, and, there's, and, yeah. Could there's hardware on. wallets that let you also provide your own entropy from like rolling dice uh, or cards or something. Um, but I, I guess with those too, you, you are still relying on the, that device to calculate it for you though. Right. So, yeah. So a lot of them are, they, they use like the onboard random number generator and then they add in uh, like the hash of whatever randomness you generated by hand. Um, yeah. th this method would actually let you get to uh, a seed that you could use as your, as your seed. So instead of, generating a new wallet on the device with your own randomness mixed in, you could use the this Volvo's thing to generate a BIP39 seed and then import that into a hardware wallet um, so that you know your private key is actually random. On that note, um, we are going to do the wallet giveaway right now. Um, like we said on our, uh, on our Twitter channel, we're going to do a wallet giveaway for today's Twitter space. Um, in order for you, if you're listening right now, to be eligible for a free Ballet Real Series wallet, we're going to spout out a keyword right now. And with that keyword, you are going to need to comment on one of the tweets about the Twitter space with that keyword. Uh, so, Andrew, guess what the keyword is going to be? Uh, it is going to be Volvos. Can you spell it Volvos. for the listeners? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, V-O-L-V-E-L-L-E-S. V-O-L-V-E-L... Uh, -E oh my gosh, I, I can't even remember. One more time. <laughs> V-O-L-V-E-L-L-E-S. All right, well, there you go. For anyone who <laughs> is listening and who caught that, write it down somewhere and comment on one of the tweets about the Twitter space. And then we will choose a lucky winner uh, to receive a ballet wallet. Um, one last question before we wrap it up. Um, <clears throat> Andrew, let's, let's think hypothetical right now. If you, in the event of a global Armageddon where the world is just, you know, getting destroyed by COVID 2.0 and with a bunch of other stuff, right? Let, let's think of the worst case scenario here. If you could take one Bitcoin wallet with you, 
besides the Bally Wallet, of course, right? Because that's, you know, <laughs> we know that's the best wallet out there. Besides the Bally Wallet, what would be your wallet of choice in that kind of scenario? Um, honestly, I'd probably take, well, if we assume electricity is still around, I would probably take a cold card because they they can work without uh, a host, a host computer. Um, if we assume electricity is not around, I would take these waffles. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. And, and and of course, you know, this is this is with the premise besides the Bally wallet, of course, right? Cause yes. Yes. Everyone's gonna have one in their wallet, right? It's stainless mm-hmm. steel, it's analog, non-electronic. That thing will last you for a lifetime. Um. <laughs> I wonder okay. if I wonder if we could figure out a way to do AES with Volvos, and then you can decrypt the private key off the ballet wallet oh. and do all this stuff by hand. Oh, that is a, an idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's something well, to think about. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, let, let, let's see if any of our people in our tech team are is listening in and uh, writing down these notes too. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, and, and, and for those listening on the call right now as well, Andrew was also giving a lot of advice as has to, um, uh, you know, different different ideas on, you know, what else can be implemented with the Ballet Wallet, of course. Um, but, but yeah, Andrew, hey, like I said before, you know, if you have other ideas uh, during your time using the Ballet Wallet when you, you know, uh, play around with it, please do let us know. Um, and then so, yeah. so that wraps it up for today. Um, thank you once again, Andrew, for joining us in today's Twitter space to talk all things Bitcoin wallets. Um, it was a pleasure getting to pick your brain. I'm sure the people listening right now also learned a few things here and there. Um, and, you know, we will definitely um, keep in touch. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, um, where can they go to your Twitter? Um, your Twitter, if I'm not going to butcher it right now, is HL101. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Um, on, on pretty much every... Everywhere online, I'm HL101. Uh, so if you spot that username, there's a good chance it's me. <laughs> At HL101, everyone, if you are interested in you know, doing some math for a couple of years and want to generate your own <laughs> private key, please hit up HL101. <clears throat> and you know what? Let, let, let's, let, let's, we, we still have a, a, lot of li- a lot of listeners on the line. Let's see if anyone wants to ask a one last question to you. Um, if anyone has a question for Andrew, raise your hand. Anyone with a question? I am looking at our listeners and I'm looking for the hand emoji. Okay. Nobody right now. Um, I think they're all, you know, starting to, you know, hand calculate their private keys. It seems like they're all kind of occupied right now. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Well, Hey, Andrew, um, once again, thank you. And we will keep in touch. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.
And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's Twitter Space with Andrew Chow. Signing off. Bye-bye.